Welcome to the River Bluff Church Sermon Podcast. We hope you enjoy this sermon from Lead Pastor Joe Still. And for more information about us, please visit riverbluff.org. How are you guys doing today? Great, good, wonderful. Okay, well then, how about open your Bibles to Matthew chapter 6? Because that's where we're going today. Matthew chapter 6. And uh, as you're making your way there, we're going to start in verse 19. But as you're making your way there uh, this morning, uh, let me just, uh, in way of one more announcement, um, and do let me encourage you, uh, if uh, you have not considered being a part of our safety team ministry, it it is a great ministry, it's a a great way uh, to serve one another um, by kind of keeping an eye out and uh, and helping that way. Um, Also, uh, next Saturday at 8 a.m., I am going to be here with coveralls on, hammer in hand, for work day. And I would encourage you, if you can make it, to join us. They're usually great days of fellowship. We've got some things we want to accomplish, kind of sprucing up around here. We're going to start at 8. We'll be done by noon, so you can go have you one of those wonderful afternoon lunches, followed by a beautiful nap in a hammock, if you got one. Um, so I uh, ho- hope you make plans to be there. It's going to be a great day. If you've got your Bibles, Matthew chapter 6, we're picking up where we have left off in the Sermon on the Mount. And uh, we're going to kind of move pretty quickly through there. I had it marked in the first service. Give me just a second. Um, Matthew chapter 6, starting in verse 19. Jesus picks up saying, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures upon the earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Where neither moth nor rust destroys, and where thieves do not break in or steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is clear, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? Verse 24, no one can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will hold to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. This is the word of the Lord. Now, um, this morning, I would... uh, like to say to you, if you are a first-timer here at River Bluff, um, you showed up on a day where we are going to talk about um, our earthly treasure. We're going to talk about money. And some of you are saying, great, my first day here. Is this all these people talk about money? No, it isn't. But let me say this. The Lord knew you would be here. And the Lord knew that we were going to be just picking up where we left off. And so... Talk to him. Okay? Talk to him about it. Um, several years back, uh, some of you may be familiar with a, uh, a, a writer. Um, he's also a movie script writer. Uh, Stephen King, the king of suspense. Uh, sometime back, he was involved in a pretty tragic accident, almost took his life. Uh, rehab took him months to recover. But in that context... Stephen King wrote an article for Family Circle magazine. I want to read part of it to you. He said, a couple years ago, I found out what 
you can't take it with you actually means. I found out while I was laying in a ditch at the side of a country road covered with mud and blood and with the tibia of my right leg poking out the side of my jeans like a branch of a tree taken down in a thunderstorm. I had a MasterCard in my wallet, but when you're lying in a ditch with broken glass in your hair, no one accepts MasterCard. <laughs> we all know that life is ephemeral. But on that particular day and in the months that followed, I got a painful but extremely valuable look at life's simple backstage truths. We come in naked and broke. We may be dressed when we go out, but we're just as broke. Warren Buffett, he's going to be broke. Bill Gates, going out broke. Tom Hanks, going out broke. Stephen King, going broke. Not caring a dime. All the money you earn, all the stocks you buy, all the mutual funds you trade, all of that is mostly smoke and mirrors. It's still going to be quarter past getting late, whether you tell your time on a Timex or a Rolex. No matter how large your bank account, no matter how many credit cards you have, sooner or later, things will begin to go wrong, and the only three things you have that you can really call your own are your body, your spirit, and your mind. So I want you to consider making your life one long gift to others, and why not? All you have is on loan anyway. All that lasts is uh, past is you will pass on, he says. Now, one of the things that I, I think is interesting about this is so much of what he speaks here is revealed in the scriptures. This is an unbeliever. Stephen King is, to my knowledge, an unbeliever who has grasped biblical truth. And it's just truth, whether you're a believer or you're an unbeliever. He goes on the article, I'm not going to read the whole thing, but he goes on in the article to talk uh, about the world's needs where we find ourselves, and that the, the world we live in is not a, not a pretty picture. But we have been given the ability and the power to help. So he asked, why should we refuse? And then he asked this question. Is it because we actually think we can take it with us when we leave? And he ends with this word. Please. <laughs> you can't take it with you. He, he, he knows this. And this corresponds so much to what the whole of scriptures teach that you cannot take it with you but with this twist you can send something ahead now here's what I, one of the things that I'm hoping to do today I am hoping that out of today's message I will somehow have convinced you to explore this topic further and by making a six to eight dollar investment in a little book called the treasure principle if you've never read it, it is worth the six to eight bucks. It is an incredible book. I believe if you really in, invest in what the author is saying, it can have life-changing uh, capacity for anyone who will read it. Um, there's a study, uh, if you are connected to uh, the resource that if you attend River Bluff, you have free access to right now media. We can, you call the church office, they can get you connected to that. But there's two different studies around this um, treasure principle book. Uh, one's a four-week, one's a six-week, great to do in small groups or, or Bible study groups. I would encourage you to do that. Now, I, I'm going to say up front, much of what I'm going to speak out of today comes from Randy Alcorn. So I want to be real clear about that, okay? And, and the writing that, that he ha has done. So here's what I want to do. I want to jump back to God's Word for a second. I want to look at a passage of Scripture in Ecclesiastes uh, chapter 5, starting in verse 10. We're going to move through it pretty quickly. But uh, Ecclesiastes 
was written by King Solomon, who in his day was described by the scriptures as being the wisest man who was alive in his day. Okay, so I want you to be captured by that reality. And he's going to speak about this thing called, called wealth. In verse 10, we read this, whoever loves money never has enough. And another way to say that you've heard before is the more you have, the more you want. Verse 10, uh, last half, whoever loves wealth, Scripture says, is never satisfied with his income. Another way to say that is, uh, you know, the more you have, the less you're satisfied. Verse 11, as goods increase, so do those who consume them. What that means is the more you have, the more people are going to come after what you have, including Uncle Sam, you know. Verse 11 kind of continues on. And what benefit are they to the owner except to feast his eyes on them? You know, they'll look good, but the more you have, the more you'll realize it doesn't really meet the needs that, that you have. Last one here, well, not the last one, verse 12. Let's look at it for a second. I, I love this one. It says, the sleep of labor is sweet, but the abundance of the rich man permits him no sleep. And this one just reminds us that oftentimes the more we have, the more we have to worry about. Verse 13 says, I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owner. The more you have, the more you can harm yourself by trying desperately to hold on to it. Verse 14, or wealth lost through some misfortune. The more you have, the more you have potential to lose. Verse 15, naked a man comes from his mother's womb, and as he comes so he departs, he takes nothing from his labor that he can carry in his hand. And again, the shortened version of that in our language would probably be the more you have, the more you're going to leave behind. It's just the truth. And as Stephen King pointed out, you can't take it with you. And it's pointed out here by the words that we read from Jesus. It's been pointed out by secular people and Christian people, by great people, small people, rich people, poor people. It's just, it's truth. We've, we've all said it because it's just truth. Now I want to jump to what I think of as probably the longest and maybe the greatest passage on teaching uh, New Testament believers about giving. And it's found in 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. Uh, 2 Corinthians, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. Uh, and he, he devotes two full chapters of this. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and, and chapter 9. And I want to start, I, I, I wanna, I'm not going to read all both chapters, I'm going to just kind of jump around a little bit. But here's what I want you to see. I want you to notice how he starts out on this teaching how he ends on this teaching, and what's kind of smack dab in the middle, okay? It's important to see that. Verse 1, 2 Corinthians 8. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. So he starts out by saying, friends, it's about the grace of God. That's going to set kind of the framework for where he goes next. And he's going to talk in detail about all kinds of things. And this, the context is they were collecting a very special offering to be sent back to uh, the, the Christians who were being persecuted um, in Jerusalem and how they should give. And this is the, the passage of Scripture where you'll find that great verse uh, that tells us that God loves a cheerful giver, um, but he'll take it from a grump. That, that part's not in the Scripture, but you'll figure it out later. Um, it starts with the grace of God, 
here is what I'm, I'm trying to say. 2 Corinthians 9, 14, you're down kind of to the end of this part of his message. He says, they long for you and they pray for you because of the surprising grace of God upon you. So he starts with the grace of God. He ends with the grace of God. Look at this smack dab in the middle, uh, 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake he became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. So here you have these Christians in Macedonia who end up giving generously, but they are living under unbelievably dire circumstances. Look back at verse 2. For in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Now, if you look back at what Paul's been writing, he's saying there's a severe test. These, these churches in, in, in northern Greece and Macedonia, remember Paul's writing to the church at Corinth down in southern Greece, and the southern Greece people kind of thought of those the northern Greece people of Hicks, so just so you kind of know that, what, what's going on there a little bit. He says they were under a severe test of affliction, um, but they had an abundance uh, of joy. And you kind of, you read that and you kind of say, how do those two things go together? They don't seem to go together in, in, in our world. And he goes on and talks about their extreme poverty and this affliction and this abundance of joy. And, and, and it ends, the equation ends, you add all those things together, and here's what you come out with. A wealth of generosity. That's what he said kind of flowed out of that, was a wealth of generosity for them. And they, they, they actually go on to, to say, we, we want to give. And they were kind of being encouraged not to. Look at verses 3 and 4. It says, for they gave, Paul says, according to their means, as I can testify, and beyond their means of their own accord, begging as earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. They begged for the privilege to give. And you're saying, well, why did they have to beg? Well, I think it was because maybe Paul, maybe some of the other leaders were trying to dissuade them, saying, look, you guys are in a, in, a, in a bad way. Somebody ought to be taking up a collection for you. And they said, no. We, we want to be a part of giving. One of the things that I've learned uh, over my years, uh, I, I've had the privilege uh, on a couple of occasions of going overseas and um, having some connections with folks, uh, oftentimes in very impoverished settings and I found that sometimes spending time with the poor they see giving as a great privilege if you've ever done something like that gone on an overseas mission trip and you, you maybe end up in somebody's home and they bring you a meal it is it is a wonderful meal and oftentimes that one meal may be a, a month's worth of their food rations. But they will, they will give lavishly to you, generously to you. Not because they're trying to put on a show. They do it in humility. But they do it because they realize they've been created in the image of God. And God is a great giver. But, but also, they understand their lives have been transformed by the gospel. And the gospel transforms our lives to give and this is that's what you're seeing happen i think in second corinthians right here that you're seeing the, this this grace of god 
Now, one of the things that uh, Randy Alcorn speaks of, and I love this, and so I'm, I'm stealing it, just so you know, I'm telling you right now, I'm stealing it, and it's this. He says that the lightning of God's grace is always followed by the thunder of giving. And that's our big idea for the day. I, I pray that you are captured by this. If you have ever truly, deeply been struck by the incredible grace of God in your life, what God has done for you through Jesus, what God continues to do for you, what God is going to do for you, apart from any work on your behalf, you will, you will be transformed by that. And one of the things that follows, just as naturally in, as in our planet as thunder follows lightning, giving will follow and flow out of your heart if you have been struck fully by the grace of God. It, it, will, it will just come because God is this great big giver. And, and God always goes first. Uh, in, in 1 John 4.19, we read that we love him because he first loved us. only reason that you and I can love God is because he loved us first. The Bible tells us that God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever would believe in him would not perish but have everlasting life. God gave first. He gave the best he had. He gave his son Jesus. He was the first great giver and our response to his grace is to, to become great givers. We just read a moment ago about what Jesus, Jesus is this incredible, he's the ultimate giver that ever walked this planet. He says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, we read it a moment ago, though, though he was rich, for your sake he became poor. He left heaven for you to come down here and live in abject poverty himself so that you and I could become rich. Friends, wherever God's grace lands, his people will soon start giving. And for, it's actually a measuring instrument of how much of God's grace you have truly been connected to is how much you are willing to give to God. There is a correlation to how much grace you are experiencing and, and your heart to give. So if you're not currently giving much to the work of the kingdom, there's a kind of a self-diagnostic question that I would just kind of poke at you right now, and it's this, am I really living out of the grace of God, or am I living out of something else? Grace, biblical grace, is the strongest word in our language. No greater word, no greater word out there than, than the grace of God. And we need to truly examine ourselves in the light of that. So I want to stir the pot on this issue a little bit this morning. And I want to share a few things that are probably going to be hard to hear. And I do that to drive us all back to that diagnostic question because we all need to come face to face with this. Statisticians, people who are able to numerically prove this, tell us you and I live in the most affluent society in human history. We just do. And for North American Christians, of which we are part of, North American Christians, North American Christians hold 70 to 80%, there were different statistics on this, 70 80% of all of the wealth that Christians have, North American Christians have 70 80% of that. 
the rest of it's distributed throughout the world. Numerically, we are a small group of Christians compared to Asia and Africa and South America. Our numbers are not near what theirs are, but we hold 70 to 80% of the wealth of, of all Christians in the world. Now, I could have taken time to run you through a global calculator of your income, and I would encourage you to do that on your own. I think it's a good thing to do on your own. You could go, there, there's a, a website called uh, howrichami.givingwhatwecan. I'm going to post it on Realm today. Um, but you can go there and see where your household fits in the world. And then it will also calculate what would happen um, if you gave 10% of your income to worthy causes. Now, this is a secular website. It's not a Christ-centered website. I would encourage you to uh, do your giving through Christ-centered uh, missions organizations as opposed to ones they might recommend. But it just kind of gives you a picture of where you land in the global landscape. But let me, let me just go ahead and, and share this with you just to kind of put things in perspective. I went and looked up um, uh, kind of at one of our government websites what kind of the current level of um, uh, poverty level is for a family of four in the United States. And I put in just below that poverty level a financial number. And here's what came out of that, um, that calculator. That if you live as a family of four in the United States, just below the poverty level, you are richer than 85% um, of the people in the world. That's United States poverty level. You're wealthier than 85% of the people in the world. Now, in, in our church... Some people are wealthier than others. I know that. You know, it's just, it's the truth. But comparatively speaking, compared to the world, all of us, just because we're here, are wealthy compared to the world. Now, here's what I want us to do for a minute. I want us to kind of jump back in time to God's people in the Old Testament and kind of what their financial world looked like. So if you go back and you think about maybe a poor struggling um, Israeli farmer or, or herdsman. Um, and I want you to think about what was kind of required of them under the Old Testament law. Because under the Old Testament law, when you go and look at what they were required to give, there were actually three tithes, three 10% commandments that they were required to give. And if you average those, and I know some of you are saying, I, I'm not going to go into the details of that. I, I can point you in a direction if you want to study that. But basically what it averaged out to was about 23% of their income annually that they, they were giving to the, fulfill the Old Testament law. One of those three tithes had to do with the temple and giving to those who did the ministry and to the ministry and, and the care uh, for, for orphans and widows out of that. But that's kind of what was mandatory required under the law. But let's just, for comparison's sake, take that one 10% that they gave to the upkeep of the temple and, and the ministry and, and all that kind of stuff. Based on God's grace in the New Testament, who would you imagine God would expect to give more? Uh, a poor Old Testament Israeli farmer, and I'm talking about percentage-wise here, you know, um, in a culture that had not yet experienced the redemptive work of Christ. They, they were looking for a, a, a promised Messiah, but they didn't have a clue, really, all that he was going 
to do for them. They were not indwelt by the Spirit of the living God that you and I have access to if we've trusted Christ. Who would you expect the, the, the level of giving be, being greater from? Those who have experienced all of those things or those who were just hoping for them, just kind of waiting on them? What, what would you think? Now, most of us would probably say, well, Joe, I know you're going somewhere with this, so I would expect it would be Christians. And I would say, yeah. But what is the reality? Okay? Some more sad statistics, if you would. The truth is, statistically, the average evangelical Christian who's a part of a church who claims to be born again gives less than 2.4% of their income. That's the 2.4% these days is the average of, of their income to kingdom, not just to their church, but to, I'm going to say to, to kingdom works that's that's almost one quarter of that one tithe that that poor israeli farmer was expected to give without all the hope that we have uh access to already um and somebody somebody might ask a question well now was the wasn't the need greater back then friends the global need to things like hunger and disease Think about how many more people inhabit our planet. The need's never been greater. Never been greater. Just because of population. And, and not only to think about that, but then the, the need to reach the lost with the gospel. Think about how many more people th there are today. And the giving number is 2.4%. What I'm trying to point out here, friends, something's gone wrong. Some, something's just gone wrong. So what do you think that should tell us about the church in America's experience with grace? Because if thunder follows lightning, if the thunder of giving truly follows the lightning strike of grace in, in our hearts, we would think that the thunder would be louder in our day. See, I think the answer to what has gone wrong is we have somehow misaligned God's equation of our earthly treasures and its connection to eternal rewards. And Jesus addressed this over and over and over. At, at least 15%. I have seen estimates much higher. I'm going low on this. At least 15% of everything that's recorded in the Gospels that Jesus said had to do with stewardship and management, including giving financial assets and, uh, and our time and, and, and our talents. But that was just the, the, the truth of God's word and Jesus' own teaching. Now, can I tell you something? As I saw this message approaching, there was honestly a moment in time where I thought, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to see if I can pass this off to Pastor Dave or Pastor Dean or Joyce. I'm going to call Kurt and say, hey, you know, you told me you'd be there any time. How about do this one, dude? And as I sat in this, I'll just say, um, because this is a difficult subject for people to receive, what the, what the Lord said to me as, as I was sitting in this was, God, it's about joy, Joe. It's about, it's about the joy of giving and, and what, what God's people will accomplish and see God accomplish through their generosity. Another statistic. In 2020, it was estimated that 5.2 million children ages five and under, died 
to preventable and treatable causes. 5.2 million. That, if you do the math, works out to about 740 children who will die to treatable causes, preventable causes, 740 while we're gathered, just in the short time that we are gathered. Kathy and I have three grandchildren. Two of them are under the age of five. Many of you, you have grandchildren. You, you, you have children and they are precious to you. And this week as I was reading those statistics, I could not help but put the faces of my grandkids into those. Knowing to me, they are not a global statistic. That is not what they are. They have names, they have faces, they have personalities, they have lives that I, I love. And those numbers, that 5.2 million number, those are not statistics either. Those are children, little children who have names, who have, who have faces, who have people who love them, who are loved and as precious in the sight of God as my own grandchildren and your children and grandchildren. Just as precious. And here's what God has done to North American Christians. He has entrusted 70 to 80% of all that wealth for the purpose of making a difference in this broken world. Now, I am not so overly simplistic to believe that global poverty will be solved simply by an infusion of more dollars. The issue is much more complex than that. But there are places where systems are in place where if there was more funding, more medications could be bought and could be delivered, more food could be bought and delivered, more uh, water systems, purification systems could be bought and delivered. And God has entrusted this to his people. I want you to listen to the word of God. I'm going to move through these very quickly. I'm going to ask you this time. Don't try to write them down. If you want the list, I'll put the list on Realm today as well. Email me if you're not on Realm, uh, and I'll send you all these scripture references. I want you to listen and let it just kind of wash over your mind and heart. Deuteronomy chapter 15, give generously to the poor, not grudgingly, for the Lord your God will bless you in everything you do. There will always be some in the land who are poor. That is why I am commanding you to share freely with the poor and with other Israelites in need. Proverbs chapter 19, verse 17. He who is kind to the poor lends to the Lord, and he, speaking of the Lord, will reward him for what he has done. Proverbs 22, 9. Generous people will be blessed because they share their food with the poor. Proverbs 28, 27. Whoever gives to the poor will not want. Be he who hides his eyes will get uh, many a curse. You want blessings or you want curse? Don't hide your eyes from the poor. God says to his people, Isaiah 58, 10, feed the hungry, help those in trouble. Then your light will shine out from the darkness and the darkness around you will be as bright as noon. Sometimes I, I hear Christians asking, the, how come the light of the church isn't making a difference? Maybe it has to do with this issue. Matthew 25, Jesus says, to the extent that you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you've done it unto me. James 1, 27, pure and genuine religion in the sight of God 
The father means caring for orphans and widows in their distress. James 2, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to him, go, I wish you well, keep warm, well fed, but does nothing about his physical needs, what good is it? 1 John 3, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother or sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. See, those verses have to do with the physical poverty in our world that we, as God's people, are called by God to address. But that's, that's just the the, the physical blight on our world. There's also a great spiritual darkness, a great spiritual blight. And certainly, we need to give generously to, to, to the work of God's kingdom uh, in evangelism, in, in Bible translations, in missions work, in reaching every tribe and tongue and, and, and nation with the gospel of Jesus. Listen to some verses around that. Matthew 28, Jesus came and told his disciples, I have given, been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I've given you. Mark 16, 15, you are to go into all the world, proclaim the good news to every person. Luke 9, 2. He sent them to spread the message about the kingdom of God and to care for the sick. Uh, Acts 1.8, you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Matthew 16.18, Jesus said, I will build my church. The gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Friends, we need... To come to that place where we connect giving to the physical needs and the spiritual needs that overwhelmingly exist in our world. We need to make that connection. God's word does. Now, I want to jump back again to that poor Israelite farmer, herdsman, whatever. And please hear me say, this message really is not, it's not a message about tithing. You know, it, it, it's not. But in order to land us somewhere so that we could draw our attention to the topic, the question that I need to ask out of this is, do you think God anticipates, expects, longs for more out of us or less than that Israeli farmer back in the Old Testament, not under grace yet, but under the law? And please hear me say this. I know there are people out there that talk about, you know, tithing as something legalistic. I was under the law. I don't want to be under the law. We're under grace. I believe in grace giving. I absolutely believe in grace giving. Here is the problem, friends. Most people who blow that horn... For them, grace given means giving what I want to, when I want to, and it almost means giving nothing, statistically. That's what it means when you track that down. See, there are a lot of tree, people who talk about this grace giving, but the problem is they, they give out of grace when they feel like it, and guess what happens? I'll never feel like it. There's always some challenge that I think might be around the corner that, that I'm facing. 
See, that figure, 2.4% of those who claim the name of Jesus, that, that number, let me tell you this, that number also includes some very wealthy Christians who give 50, 60, 70, sometimes in excess of 80% of their income. So what do you think that does to that 2.4%? It pulls that number up. So what do you think the number really might be? It, 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 it would be lower. Now again, the point of this is not a, a, a about tithing. Th that, the, the point is just starting somewhere, helping us think comparatively about what it looks like to be, to, to be giving. Don't, see, don't think about tithing as a ceiling or, or the pinnacle of giving. Tithing, we need to think about it as kind of the floor, kind of the, the training wheels. And if you, know, if you get a new bike and you can't ride the bike, get you some training wheels. Get started there. But if you're one of those people that says, I'm all about grace giving, baby. Well, then you start giving out of grace, but it should far exceed 10%. You start at 11 or 12 if you want to go there. It shouldn't, it, it shouldn't be less. If you, go, if you can ride the bike, ride it, man. Get on it and, and go. But don't, don't, don't blow off this thing about, well, that, that's legalism. I don't want to be under the bondage of the Old Testament. Friends, the Old Testament was not filled with bad ideas. I know it's the law, but some of the law is beautiful and good for us today. You know, before, before wearing seatbelts became law, it was an intelligent thing to do. Now, I'll, I'll confess, and my wife will tell you, I didn't do it. I wasn't a, an early adapter. I fussed about it a little bit, but it really was an intelligent thing to do. And the truth is, if they revoked the seatbelt law tomorrow, I would continue to wear my seatbelt, especially when Kathy reminds me, you don't have it on. My, my truck really does not, she'll tell you, my truck doesn't have a buzzer that tells me, you know, a, you know a, a, an idiot buzzer. Um, and so sometimes I'll forget. But I, I know it's a good thing, and I would continue to do it, and I would beg my grandchildren to do it, and I would beg my children to do it. And oh my goodness, if you live in Charleston, South Carolina, and drive on I-26, wear your seatbelt. It's a good idea. But that's under the law. And we think that's good. Friends, just because something is considered to be under the law, don't throw it out. There could be an incredible blessing of God going on that you don't, you don't want to, to miss. Sometimes when I am thinking about my life in light of what the scripture teaches, I am aware that there is coming a day, according to God's word, when I will stand or sit before Jesus at this moment that's called the day of judgment. Uh, the, 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 the Greek word is the, the, the bema of Christ or the bema of Christ, however you want to pronounce it. We're all going to to be judged. In fact, there's a passage of scripture that speaks to this in 2 Corinthians 5. It says, for we must all 
all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one of us may receive what is due for what he has done in the body. In other words, in this life, whether it is good or evil. Now, there have been times, knowing that verse is there, knowing that's a reality I'm going to face, I sometimes come, have to come face to face with the truth that sometimes I rationalize my behavior. I make excuses for myself. But then when I have to put that in the context of this passage in 2 Corinthians, and I think about myself seated on Judgment Day, just me and Jesus, and Jesus is kind of pointing these things out to me. You know what runs through my head? I don't even, this, one, this doesn't even fly with me. How's it going to fly with Jesus? You know? And so when it comes to your giving, one of the things that you will do is, and the, the enemy will lead you to this, is he will try to get you to rationalize to why you, why you don't. And you're going to sit before Jesus one day, and here's the question you need to ask today. Is that going to fly with him? Here's a better question. Does it even fly with you when you really think about what you're saying? When you try to let yourself off the hook. See, we shouldn't be doing less than the Old Testament poor farmer. We, we should be doing even more. We're under a much better covenant. So again, the question, has the lightning of the grace of God struck you so that your life is thundering with greater giving? And Jesus, when he tells us, don't store up for yourselves treasures on the earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. We're talking about two different treasuries here, folks. Two different places where our treasures could, could land. He goes on in verse 22 and 23 and he starts talking about Two different perspectives, two ways to see. He talks about your eyes. It's kind of the gates of your soul, if you would. And he's talking about two different ways of looking at this particular issue. And then finally, in verse 24, he just drives it home. He says, you can't serve two masters. There was two perspectives, and then there's these two masters. You're going to hate one and love the other because you cannot serve God and mammon or wealth. And if you read on further into Matthew 6, he'll talk about where anxiety comes from in the context of all this and how God is going to take care of you so that you, you can give, you can invest your life in the right treasury, adopting the right perspective, serving the right master. And then if you kept going down, you're going to get to that great verse in, in Matthew 6, where Jesus tells us, but seek first the kingdom of God his righteousness, and then all of these things are going to be added unto you. See, that's where that train is heading while Jesus is teaching on this. But he puts this giving right there up front in this. Giving as Jesus instructs, doing our lives that way, and then getting to watch as God cares for us and as God provides for us. That's what Jesus says is the outcome. And so Jesus says, do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth. It, does, he, does he tell us that primarily because 
you know, he just needed to, to fuss at us about something? See, Jesus, Jesus doesn't tell you that because it's wrong. That's not why he's telling you that. He's telling you that because it's dumb. It's just dumb to think about, I'm going to make my greatest investment here. So instead, he says, store up your treasure in the place it will last forever. It can't be destroyed in heaven. It's perfectly safe there. So take your earthly wealth and generously invest it in the kingdom of God. Now, of course, God made a way for you to keep what you need to provide for you and your family. But even that, we need to hold too loosely. Even that, we need to share with other people, use, use our homes for you know, Bible studies and small groups and blessing others. So store up, not in, in here, but store up for yourselves in heaven. Now, why, why does Jesus do that? Does he do that because it's the right thing? No, because it's the smart thing. It's just the smart thing. And Jesus, Jesus wants you to do what's good for you. Your treasure will last there. So store it up in heaven and be more concerned about it there than 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 here should you want treasures in heaven should you want rewards in heaven well some people say well that's kind of self-centered please hear me say this as your pastor god wants you to want rewards in heaven god god desires for you Th think about it this way when my kids were teenagers, just so you know, because it freaked me out when I thought about it, my kids are 35 and 30. I don't know when that happened, but they are. Um, when, when our kids were teenagers, if I were to come to them and said, hey, um, this Saturday we're going to have a work day, and, uh, you know, you plug in and, and work hard, um, we're going to give you 50 bucks each, and... And then we're going to take you, our, our kids used to love to go downtown to eat at T-Bones and then Kaminsky's for dessert. Great desserts at Kaminsky's. And so if I said, we're going to give each of you 50 bucks, you, you work hard, and then we'll go downtown and have this great meal and you get to pick your meal and your dessert. And, um, and you know, should my kids want that? Should they want to be rewarded for that? See, it, yeah, that was my idea. See, the, 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 the pendulum kind of swings on whose idea is it. Now, if it had gone this way, if I had said, hey, kids, we're going to have a work day Saturday. And if my kids had said, well, hey, Dad, I'm not going to do that unless you give me 50 bucks and take me out for a good meal. And, oh, by the way, I want Kaminsky's afterwards. You know, there would have been part of me that probably said, do you know, you know, it's only by grace that you get to live in my house, you know? But see, it, it, the, the tipping point is over whose idea was it. It was the same thing, same amount of money, same meal, same dessert, but it was whose idea? It is God's idea that you think in terms of eternal rewards. See, Jesus wants you to connect to eternity. He wants you thinking about it. He wants you longing for that with him. 
And so he needs you and I to realize a couple of things. And again, uh, this, this is from uh, Randy Alcorn. Two things of, of many, but just two that I want to give you before we leave, two takeaways. First of all, realize this. This earth in its current condition is not your home. This is not your final dwelling place. Heaven is. Now, God's going to bring heaven when he restores all creation down to earth to, and will live here in a recreated earth. But earth, as it is, is not my home. Heaven is. And so I need to live for the line and not for the dot. You know, if you know anything uh, about, you know, dots and lines kinds of things and um, th this idea that a, a line is started in a, in a, in a moment, it's the dot. But the line can continue endlessly, infinitely. And that's your life. But here's what most of us do. Most of us live for the dot. We, we, just, we get stuck on living for that dot that doesn't exist very long. It is to launch something greater, something more eternal, something more beautiful. Live for the line, not for the dot. And then Jesus wants our hearts to be captured by something else, and that is that God prospers us not to raise our standard of living, but to raise our standard of giving. So the next time you get a raise or some type of additional financial infusion, that may not only be for you. It may be for you to give, give away. L listen to this again in 2 Corinthians 9. It says, Paul writes, you will be made rich in every way. Now, every way actually includes financial riches. And then he says, you will be made rich in every way so that. Now, the, the, the false prosperity gospel would tell you so that. You can live in the biggest and best house so that. You can drive the newest model vehicle so that, that you can just pour it out on yourself. But that's not what the scripture says. Paul writes this and says, so that you can be generous on every occasion. So that you can be generous. See, that's why God entrusts more to us. So that we can change more lives and bring more glory to him. Some of you know that my wife, Kathy, is pretty crafty. Some of you have been blessed by a gift that she may have made for you, those kinds of things. Excuse me, Kathy um, has been on this thing called Etsy. Now, I'm not an Etsy expert. I know it's a store thing. She does that online. It's been mostly a hobby for her. Um, got a, you know, a little shop or whatever. And part of what has to happen is when somebody goes in her shop and orders something, she has to package it and get it shipped. Our mail carrier normally, you know, kind of picks it up and, and takes it. Now, let me ask you this question. If, if customers started calling Kathy and say, where's my package? And we started tracking it down, and we discovered that our mail carrier was taking it home himself. Now, as a formal mail, mail carrier, let me tell you, that's a no-no for mail carriers. But let's say it happened. And we found out about it. I could imagine us going and confronting this mail carrier and saying, hey, dude, what, what gives? Why are you taking, you know, th these packages to your place and keeping them for yourselves? Now, 
I can only imagine what I would say next if the mail carrier looked at me and said, well, why do you keep giving me the stuff? <laughs> because it's your job for crying out loud. I may say something else too, who knows. Um, but that, you know, we, we expect that this person is going to do their work of delivering. What if so much of what God has blessed you with was intended by him to be delivered somewhere else? For someone else. And all you did was take it home with you. Friends, God has a plan. Jesus has this dream for your life that your heart would be connected to the kingdom of God in the here and now. Because there is great joy when the grace of God strikes you like lightning. The joy of giving will thunder through your life. All of us need to be challenged in this. If you're a tither, we need to be challenged to go beyond to generosity. Because the grace of God changes everything all the time, every day, if we'll walk in it. Let's pray. Father, we come giving thanks that you are a God of grace and giving thanks that you are a God who in your great grace wants your children to know the best way to lean and live into eternity. And one of those places that your word speaks so much about is our treasures. And Jesus, you have so clearly and directly in your greatest sermon ever told us about what's the best storage unit and storage plan for eternity and it's not to store our treasure here but to, to trust it in you and to give it away to you to your kingdom work and so we find ourselves here all of us find ourselves here again in that moment a moment to decide will we go with you and trust you will we let the lightning of your grace strike us so deeply that our lives thunder with giving. Lord, I, I pray for all of us to let that grace of yours move us to a new place this day. But Father, I know that it begins in a heart being struck by how good you are, being struck by your grace found in your son Jesus and so if you are here today and you haven't received Jesus you haven't received the grace of God striking into your life through his son Jesus that's the starting place right where you're at today your decision would be Jesus I'm trusting you I've tried it my own way but I'm giving my life and my heart to you and Jesus will receive you He'll let you experience life in the kingdom of God, grace beyond measure, joy inconceivable. But for most of us in the room, we've made that decision. And we've got a new decision to make in these moments. We're, we're here again. 
God wants to meet you right where you're at. So we come. Holy Spirit, I pray that you would lead us to make whatever decision you're calling us to make for your great glory and for our good. It's in Jesus' name I pray.